But fundamentally, when somebody's stressed out on a regular basis, we're actually talking about they don't have a vehicle of entry into the present moment. Hey, I'm Harrison. When was the last time you had a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody? If it's been a while, don't worry, you're in the right place. This podcast is designed to open your mind to new perspectives and topics in the realms of health, personal growth, and well, life. Welcome to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Life podcast. My name is Harrison King. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. It's a very special episode to me. We're uh, we're chatting with my good friend and mentor and just overall amazing human being, Drew Pro is on the podcast today. Uh, and if you're in the listening to the podcast in the health and wellness realm, you've probably heard the name before. Drew is a podcast host, he's a serial entrepreneur and investor in the health and wellness industry. His podcast, the Drew Perot Podcast, or you may know it from the previous name, which was the Broken Brain Podcast, uh, it's a top, top 50 global health podcast with over 30 plus million unique downloads, and I actually think this is outdated information, I believe it is more than that now. And uh, his interviews focus on the inner workings of the brain and the body and feature the brightest minds in wellness, medicine, and mindset. And in addition to his podcast, Drew is the CEO of the Dr. Hyman brand and the Ultra Wellness Center, which is a medical clinic based in Lenox, Massachusetts, that specializes in treating chronic disease through personalized medicine. As a writer, Drew is a contributing author to two New York Times bestsellers, The Clean Gut and Clean Eats, and helped launch the global clean eating re- revolution by co-founding the clean program you may have heard of that which uh, vogue magazine said is the whole food program that celebrities athletes and influencers use to jumpstart their sluggish bodies it's hard to sum him up in uh, just a couple paragraphs like that but drew is a phenomenal person a human being and and podcast host you got to ch- check out his show if you haven't already and i'm so excited for you to hear this conversation let's dive right into my chat with drew pro drew thanks for being here today i'm super excited about this one because uh well, you've become a, a good friend of mine. We've developed a relationship over the past little bit, and uh, and you're an amazing fella. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to have a chat with you here. Thanks for thanks for tuning in, and uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in, and Drew, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Harrison. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, um, you are a busy guy, very busy guy, which I have I've been working with you a little one on one, and I I can see the schedule, but. You mentioned one time that you live a relatively stress-free life. And now you can use that term loosely, I guess. Um, and, and it applies to everybody's life differently. But I'm curious how you live that stress-free life while still having such a busy schedule and, and doing so much. How do you how do you make it work? Well, I, I hope to be never too busy because, I mean, that's actually like a big crutch that a lot of people rely on in their life. Like being busy is an excuse that so many people use not to handle, address, or pay attention to important things in their life. Now, I don't mean what's important to me. Like, it's the only person that should really be deciding what's important in your life is you. But I hear so many people often say that some aspect of their life is important, like connecting with friends and family or spending more time with loved ones. And yet, their schedule is so busy and they're running around like, chicken with his head cut off, trying to accomplish everything. So I hope to never be so busy. And that's why I always take a step back from my schedule every so often and just say, what's actually genuinely important? And what do I have the courage to quit? Because saying no is a big part of living a stress-free life. I'll actually give you three things, three areas that I think that are super important as part of that. The first one is saying no to things. Having the courage to say no to exciting opportunities, because if you're up to something in life, like exciting opportunities are always going to find you. If you are in the growth mindset, if you're meeting interesting people, like there's always going to be some version of exciting opportunities out there. And sometimes the shiny new object is the thing that's dangling in front of you trying to get your attention. And yet... You might already have commitments in your life. You might, already have, you might already have things that you're trying to build and trying to do. And it takes courage. It takes courage to take a step back and say, you know what? This would be fun, but really, what does it take to actually make this happen? Seth Godin, who's a prolific writer in the world of marketing, a lot of people probably know about him, had the fortunate 
opportunity to spend a little bit of time with them through these workshops, trade some emails with them back in the day when I was first starting my entrepreneurial journey. He says, you know, one of the biggest things that people have to learn is the process of knowing when to stick and when to quit. Because if you have the courage to quit things that are not the right fit for you, they may be the right fit for somebody else. They may be the right fit for somebody else's journey, somebody else's goals. They may be the right fit for your parents, but they're not the right fit for you. And if you have the courage to be honest about that and listen to your gut instinct, then you don't put yourself in the middle of something. And when you're in the middle where one part of you is saying, I don't want to do this. And another part of you is saying, man, this is this commitment that I promised to do, but I don't want to be involved in. That's where stress happens. Stress in the most simplistic form, both in the body and on the mind is one thing going in one direction and another thing going in another. And that resistance between the two of them. So I look for points of friction in my life where that, that one thing going in one direction and maybe my gut instinct telling me differently, I look for those areas and I try to work on them. I try to massage them and I ask myself what is needed. So the first thing I gave you was having the courage to say no. The second thing that I put that's out there is really around that area of FOMO. One of the biggest reasons that I see people not having the courage to say no is that they feel like they're going to miss out on something. They don't want to say no to that hangout with a group of friends that actually they don't really want to be there, but they're afraid, you know, will they not be invited next time, right? Or they don't want to say no to that particular opportunity that being that they're being pre presented with, but it's not the right opportunity for them. They don't want to say no to that job. That's great. Maybe the next step, but not the next step in the direction that they want to take. Everybody knows what that is for them. We know when that FOMO kicks in, and where that fear of missing out pushes us to do things and act in a way where it's not in alignment with what we care about. So saying no to things, FOMO, and having FOMO in, in check. And then the last part is to actually be okay with downtime. To enjoy downtime and realize that some of the best ideas, some of the best thinking happens when we're doing sort of some version of relaxation, even if that's a walk outside, if meditation isn't your thing, and sometimes it's my thing and sometimes it's not my thing, just even going for a walk outside and allowing for the momentum of the day to fade away. Often when we pe people say they're stressed, what they're simply saying is they're taking the energy of one situation and they're bringing it into the next situation. And right now they might be in this interview. You know, let's say somebody was stressed and you're interviewing them and they're stressed about what? Something earlier in the day. Well, what was in earlier in the day? Like that's done. It's not happening right now. Now that doesn't mean that the problem has solved itself. It doesn't mean that you might even have a resolution. It doesn't mean you have an answer, but fundamentally when somebody's stressed out on a regular basis, we're actually talking about, they don't have a vehicle of entry into the present moment. Because right now, what's in front of me? There's no bear, there's no tiger, there's nothing else that's going on. It's just taking the energy of one moment and carrying that energy into the next moment without letting it go. And if you can't access the present moment through the body, you're not gonna be able to let that go. So I love walking. I used to do this practice called Yoga Nindra when I was younger. You can go on YouTube and you can type it in. Anybody who has a challenge with meditation, Yoga Nindra is amazing because it's like a guided meditation where you lay down and even sometimes I fall asleep. And I used to do it for years. And then a scientist who was on my podcast, the Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a really smart, intelligent guy from Stanford, he was on my podcast. And he was like, anybody that is stressed out and needs to re-energize, I recommend Yoga Nindra. And I was like, dude, I used to do Yoga Nindra all the time. And now I have this top scientist from Stanford saying it's a great technique, recommending it to people. This is just another reminder for folks that are out there to practice it. So, so Harrison, that's a long-winded answer, but those are three things that I incorporate in my life on a regular basis to basically catch stress before it has a chance to start. Yeah, so you're, it's, it's preventative, right? And it's like a lot of these things you talk about, you have a lot of functional medicine doctors and stuff on there on your on your podcast, and you talk about the prevent preventing it before it happens, which is which is all you're saying. And and that doesn't make it easy. <laughs> it doesn't make it easy for 
for people. I'm curious because you've mentioned uh, in, in the past struggling with a little bit of FOMO and and saying no to things specifically, uh, especially when you were younger. How did you, you say you have to have the courage to say no to things. How do you, if you feel like you don't have the courage to say no to things and you're like obligated, I have all these shoulds. How do you, how do you get to that place where you can say no? What's the steps towards that and being okay with it? Slowly and gently. And the most important thing is not beating yourself up when you get it wrong, because one of the ways that you get it right is you get it wrong so many times. And that's part of the journey. There's a sense of compassion. You know, there's this uh, Dr. Kristen Neff that I had on the podcast uh, one time, and she's the author and sort of the leader in this movement of uh, fierce self-compassion. And she's done all these studies um, and collected all this data and research on this word compassion, which feels like a very soft word. And one of the studies that uh, I remember reading that she talked about and presented one time was how compassion and negative self-talk, a particular protocol that they implemented in the army, and how even people like soldiers who were taught these self-compassion techniques of not beating themselves up or catching themselves when they're beating themselves up for doing something wrong or maybe failing or not getting something done in the exact way that they wanted to, when they were taught these aspects of how to be a little bit more gentle with themselves and tell themselves that literally, like, look, okay, you might have messed up, but that doesn't mean you are, can we curse in this podcast? Is that allowed? Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> so, so even if you mess up, you're not a fuck up. How many times, Harrison, do you know somebody messes up a little bit and they make that mean something about who they are fundamentally as a human being? So one of the first ways to understand that we can get better in life in anything is actually the problem isn't when something goes quote unquote wrong. The problem is usually that we keep on beating ourselves up for it over and over and over again. Most people speak to themselves in a harsher tone and voice than they would speak to anybody else in their life that's out there. Think about that. We're harder on ourselves than even people in our life that we don't even really like. <laughs> and we're addicted. And the question is really, why? Why are we addicted to beating ourselves up? And you know, a lot of it is our old programming. When we grow up, we see the people around us our parents, our loved ones, our uncles, our aunts, our, our mentors, our teachers, we see them. And a lot of these individuals, they themselves had negative self-talk. They had some form of maybe trauma that they dealt with. They weren't the best communicators. So we see, we see patterns. And sometimes we see the pattern that the best way to get ahead in life is to be hard on yourself. Because our dad, who was great at business, and, and accomplished a lot, and we really look up to him, and we love him, he was hard on himself. So guess what a kid does? Kid starts being hard on themselves. They don't even know they're doing it. They're not even choosing to do it on, pur on purpose. So the way that people get better, going back to your original question, is they first realize that they're gonna mess up. That's part of the learning process. You wouldn't grow if you didn't mess up, but how do you get better at catching yourself when you're on the downward spiral of beating yourself up. That is the first and most important thing. And if you can get better at that, the rest of it is going to come along the process. Yeah, it's it's noticing and acknowledging what you're feeling and why you're feeling that way um, and that you are doing it. Because if you don't know you're doing it, you know, it's the first step like in anything is acknowledging that, that it's happening. And, and I'm curious if you have any uh, routines in your daily life, like a daily kind of routine, maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the afternoon, maybe it's throughout the day that uh, you implement, you said going on walks, but things you do to prevent stress from uh, coming up. Yeah, the way I think of routines is like I have a toolbox and there's all different types of routines and they change sometimes. And there's a lot of themes that are similarities, but there might be a time of year, this is the tendency for all of us, where things are very intense, right? You know that in our team and also in my personal life this past week, we lost somebody that was very close to us. Uh, an aunt of mine who I've worked with for 10 years and uh, was a three times breast cancer survivor. And, you know, this week is a little bit tougher. A lot of people on our team, a lot of people in my family, including myself, we're grieving. We're thinking about her, we're missing her, we're trying to honor her legacy. And um, on top of that, the physical uh, traveling around, 
trying to be there for her in the hospital, in hospice. Life happens, and even though this is happening for me, everybody has that version. You're going to be going back to school in a little bit, right? It's, it's things happen. So what I like to have is I like to have core things that I can mix and match depending on what I need at the time. So let me give you a couple of themes and I'll talk about some that are contextual. So themes wise, and everybody's different, but I know because I'm so heady and intellectual, like, like I think of, I'm very thoughty, right? Like I, I, I'm in my thoughts a lot. So I know that one of the best ways to get me out of my thoughts is I don't like journaling. Now I have, a, I have many friends, they love journaling. I've tried to get into journaling. There's, I've seen all the research on journaling. I don't like writing. Like I, I, at most I like a little bit of typing, but I don't like to journal about my thoughts. But another version of journaling for me is calling a trusted friend and saying, basically I say this exact thing and anybody can steal the script and I do it for them and they do it for me. I say, hey, can I monologue with you, right? So a monologue is basically just, I need to talk out my thoughts and they're gonna be all over the place and that person is essentially my muse who's listening to me and just hearing. And they're, they're present to me. They're not trying to solve my problem. They're not trying to jump in my life and say, hey, you could do this, you could do that, you could do other stuff. All they do is they're a receiving end because we could talk to ourselves, but that would feel weird and a lot of people are not comfortable talking to themselves. So I have a few people in my, my life. My, one is my sister, Kea. Another one is uh, my two best friends that I grew up with, Nerev and Mihir. And I would just call them up and they do this for me too. And I'll just say, look, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. I'm trying to manage a lot of things. We're launching a product. Things are happening with the podcast. I just lost, launch, you know, I just lost my aunt. Let me just monologue to you for a little bit. And they're there. And sometimes the thing is, Harrison, we don't even know what we feel ourselves until we say it out loud. Sometimes I'll say things out loud in the monologue to a friend, and I'll realize, like, actually, I, I didn't know that that was weighing on you. Because it's all about digging and figuring out what is actually weighing on you. So as part of one of my routines, and I often do, do this uh, on, on walks or maybe when I'm driving, I know that if I'm stressed out or if I'm feeling a little bit heavy, I need to call somebody in my inner circle. And I got a monologue with them. So that's one of the themes that's there for me is what is something to get me out of my thoughts? And one way of doing that is by chatting with people. Another theme is on the idea of getting back into the body and really being present in the body because we have a tendency to sit all day, especially in the type of work that you and I do and many other people that are listening. We're sitting all day. So I need to, and I was terrible at this, even if it's just a few minutes of just push-ups, I gotta incorporate some movement that's there. I mostly work out with a group called TB12. It's a, a company that Tom Brady started, and they have these you know great trainers and coaches online that you can do, you know, relatively as far as personal training goes. It's not inexpensive, but it's not crazy expensive, and you can do these workouts in 30 minutes with them, and they have an app, and that's kind of like my go-to right now. But I know that if I don't incorporate some version of a movement piece in my day. I'm going to be more tied up in my thoughts that are there. I would say the count the the other answer that I bring in to your question, Harrison, is um, you see these elaborate routines that people are so proud about that when you actually add up all the things that they talk about, especially a lot of influencers, experts that are out there, it would take you maybe an hour to an hour and a half to do it all. And I want to say that I have things that I'll rely on, but the one thing that I'm not a huge fan of, and in fact, I really would encourage anybody who's listening is, you know, be mindful that these people that you might look up to that are, are really talking about the ideal morning routine, and you'll go on YouTube and there are 13 steps for the ideal morning routine. You don't need all that, right? It's fun to try, and I've tried many of them, but often it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for us to do everything in our life and to have an hour-long morning routine. So it's some version of movement. When I'm really stressed out, some opportunity to monologue with people. And then on the basics on the health front, because I know it makes such a difference that's out there, I'm going to start off my morning you know, with the right type of breakfast. I actually love eating earlier in the morning. You know, I know it's very common for people to skip breakfast. I love eating because of all the data that's out there of how it powers your brain. And Harrison, another thing that I'll add in, which is so simple, is for anybody who's a big coffee drinker, water first. Wake up in the morning, water first. That alone can change people's life.
Wow. I, there's so many things I want to touch on because, um, first of all, you said <laughs> people are like, this is the ideal morning routine. It's funny you said that because about like four or five episodes ago, I did something on the ideal morning routine. And, but I, I phrased it because you probably haven't listened to it. I, I, I was like, here are a bunch of different things that you can pick and choose. Like even just pick one thing that'll improve your morning. You don't have to do all of them. And I think that becomes a problem where you said some of these big Instagram gurus and, and stuff, they're like, you know, you have to do all of these things. And what I love about what you said is, you know, my question was, what's a daily routine you'd have? And your kind of your answer is, is, I don't have a routine, but you have things that you can kind of, oh, I can grab a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever here and there that fits into your schedule, which I think makes you feel less bad about yourself. We're talking about, you know, feeling down on yourself, makes you feel better that you're not like missing out because, I, oh, I didn't do the full hour and a half. So I suck today. You know, you're just picking one thing here and there. And, and I absolutely love that. Another perfect example is like... What- Harrison, when, when you first wake up, what is the main thing that everybody tells you not to do? Like, what's the first thing that you hear so often? Yeah, don't check your phone. Don't check your phone. Okay, let's talk about this, right? I'm a CEO. I've been a CEO of a bunch of companies. I invest regularly in companies, other stuff. I will tell you that me waking up first thing in the morning and checking my phone. Now, this isn't advice to people, right? This is just where I'm at in my life right now. When I wake up, one of the first things I do is check my phone. I am one of the go-tos, not just for my team, but for a lot of my friends and a lot of my people that are out there. And when I check my phone quickly and I make sure that there's not a fire to put out, there's not something urgent that's going on. For me personally, it actually makes it easier to get into my morning routine. So I would add in for people, if there's something that you like, something that's part of you, something that's there, it's so important to try different things. Go for a week, right? How I know this, Harrison, is that I went for an entire month and I was like, let me not check my phone because everybody was talking about this. This was early on when I was a first-time entrepreneur. And I was like, I actually feel kind of stressed because the fact is when you are just beginning to build your business, there's not work-life balance. You are working a lot and you're trying to squeeze in a little bit of movement wherever you can, or eating healthy, or whatever else it is. It's just the reality. I don't know anybody that's really successful that didn't inherit it, that didn't have to have years of like their life wasn't really that balanced, right? And now actually we do a little bit of a better job, and there's more health foods and apps and other stuff that make it a lot easier and more education, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. But the one thing, the one thing that everybody tells you not to do actually is the thing that I love doing in the morning And it makes it easier for me to then check out or at least ping people and say, hey, look, we'll talk about this at 10 or we'll get back to this at that or we'll get back to this then. And if I didn't do that, I'd be worrying about that and it'd be in the back of my head. Again, I'm not giving that advice to everybody, but I'm just sharing with you how you need to make it your own. Yeah, yeah. And your your point is try different things. And we've talked about this before, too. You know, you can't you don't know what works for you unless you try it. So they're, you know, for you as a personal thing that works. I'm curious if you find that you ever get caught, like you're checking something and then you just get caught into the rabbit hole and now I'm on my phone and you're doing other things or has it become like a habit just to just to check, make sure everything's all right and then put it away and then continue on? Or do you find that you get caught up when you're on your phone? Because that's the issue, right? I get caught up all the time. I it's a, it's a weekly struggle and it's a reminder. And then it's also too, I'm a big fan of time blocking. So I live by my calendar and I really try to uh, use those major time blocks, even though you know things get adjusted and pushed back a little bit here and there. And so I know that, look, whatever time period you have in the morning, if you want to fuck around or you want to do whatever, like you only have 15 minutes, right? Before then your workout starts. So absolutely, I get caught up. And I think that the thing is, is that everybody does. There's people that I know that are known for being people that talk about like the ideal morning routine and they're friends. And I'm not here to call anybody out. Sharing. These are people that are multiple New York times, bestsellers, big followings, other stuff. And they're a big thing. And they're known for is a morning routine. And it's like, don't check your phone. And you know, they've stayed with me or they visit in town or where we've been at like an event together, or whatever it might be. And it's like, I know these people are checking their phone in the morning. So we all mess up. Even if people who don't want to, and that's not to say that, to call them out. It's just that we all mess up. It's part of the process. And even be gentle. Be gentle on yourself if you've been somebody that said, yeah, look, don't check your phone. And then one day you do. It's more to be present 
It's more to be present of like also the motivation. Okay, I said I didn't want to check my phone this morning. Great, it's a good experiment. Try it. Why are you checking it now? Right? And in your example with me, you know, I have to clearly come in. Like, I don't go on Instagram. I'm not going on Instagram and looking through my DMs in that period of time. I'm primarily focusing on text messages, and I usually have a few, you know, a few text messages to go through, whether they're personal, family, whatever it might be, business related. And then it's really scanning my work inbox for anything that is very clearly an urgent item or something that has to be handed off to somebody else to be able to focus on. So those are the boundaries that I try to place. I'm not going to go on social media during that time period, which limits. I'm not saying it doesn't happen sometimes, but that's just not my go-to in that period of time when I'm checking. Right. So you've created boundaries around that, right? Which is the key thing. And one thing I really want to touch on, which you've, you've said a couple of times now, and, and you're a pretty influential guy in the space. And it's great to hear from you saying that, hey, I, I don't do everything perfect all the time. And if even if it's just a reminder to the listeners that if you hear somebody saying that they're doing it all the time, it doesn't mean they're doing it all the time. So don't feel bad that uh, you're not just like them. I'm saying that from personal experience because I I'm, I go down that route 100%. People say, oh yeah, don't check your phone. And I'm like, yeah, I've checked my phone. I'm like, well, I've just ruined the day. You know, I can't do it. So, you know, be gentle with yourself in that in that regard. I'm curious, you know, do you have any advice for someone who's, is getting, they've gotten to the point where they are feeling kind of overwhelmed and or overworked and stressed or whatever. What do you do from that place? If you are feeling, we were talking about preventing it. Now you're in a place of stress because it happens. Obviously it happens and, and life comes up. How would you approach reducing stress when you are feeling stressed or overwhelmed? You know, so much of stress is actually, we know the factual answer, right? Human beings are actually really good at looking at what needs to happen to maybe, even if they don't know how to do it, they know what needs to happen or ultimately what the outcome might be to help them at least make some tiny baby steps, right? Generally speaking, not in every area, but generally speaking, that's there. So when it comes to being overwhelmed, when it comes to being burnt out, the first thing that I'm always asking is I do something which is, you know, laying, it's called laying all the cards on the table. And I just want to know if I'm being honest with myself about what the situation is. Let's take a classic example. People get stressed out in a relationship because they're starting to feel that maybe they're not the right, they don't have the right partner, right? Or they have a different vision of the future of, of what they want than their partner. I'm always looking in that situation, or if a friend calls me to monologue or chat about it, it's first, before we go into anything else, just tell me what you know, but maybe you're afraid to say out loud. I'm always looking for what do you know to be true to you that you are afraid to say out loud? And that's a great question that you can ask yourself. Sometimes, Harrison, I'm driving in the car just by myself and I don't feel good. And I actually am not sure why. Like, let's say I have a little pit in my stomach and it's been a busy day and I've been running around doing a lot of different things. So I'll always check to see, like, is my abs and is my stomach, is that like tight? right? Or is my jaw tight? I'm always kind of scanning my body. Or my, is my neck stressed out or something like that? And if I feel like I feel a general sense of discomfort, and I'm not exactly sure why, I'm asking myself to, okay, what haven't you said out loud? Let's, let's, let's look at kind of the things that have gone on in, your, in, in the day, or look what's go, going on recently, that maybe you even haven't said it out loud to yourself that's bothering you. Oh, you know what? Yesterday I had a really challenging conversation with my business partner and it didn't go the way that I wanted. And I immediately went to a dinner after that and I never gave myself a chance to like process it and actually think about what the next steps are. Anything that's unresolved, anything that's there that we don't acknowledge, it will still continue in the background. That's why I always want to start off with what have you not acknowledged? Because have you ever heard that phrase, what you resist will persist? And what you accept, you go beyond. So the first step that I'm always looking at is where am I spending so much energy resisting the truth? And then what are the primary motivators? I've shared with you, Harrison, on a personal level that I used to be an extreme people person. Sorry, people pleaser. (laughs) And as a people pleaser, I would constantly say yes to things that I felt like actually if I took a step back, 
and didn't give people an answer right away, I would have looked at my life and said, there's too much going on right now. I shouldn't have said yes to this. I would offer to do free work for people. I'd be volunteering for nonprofits. I would be helping friends out with stuff. And all those things are beautiful things. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you continuously overload yourself and take on way more than you can chew, you're going to end up in a place of burnout. And I struggled a lot. I ruined a lot of friendships back then because I committed to doing things and then later on got completely burned out and couldn't you know, do them and didn't know how to have the courage to be honest about that. And I dropped the ball in many areas of my life, including in business. And when I looked at it at that time, and if I was honest with myself, which ultimately I started having this conversation and being honest with myself, said, you know, what are you afraid to say out loud? And just sit with the answer. And not always immediately an answer will come, right? Sometimes it'll come a little bit later, but you're just asking the question and waiting for the answer. Don't force an answer. Some of the things that came up for me, Harrison, was I was worried if I did not take every opportunity that was presented to me that I wouldn't be successful. If I didn't show people in every instance and had their back and, did, and went above and beyond that somehow I'd be missing out in life and I wouldn't be able to achieve, achieve some of the dreams that I had in business and other areas. And then even deeper, because these come in stages, there's a part of me that felt like who I was at my core wasn't good enough. So I had to constantly prove to other people around me that, hey, look, I hope you still like me. Let me keep doing things for you. When these other people are like, dude, you're amazing. Like, I'm happy to be a friend with you. I don't need you to do all this shit. In fact, one of my close friends said, I don't know why you keep on offering to do more stuff. I don't need shit from you. You're just like a good friend in my life. Like, why do you keep on offering? And, and this really goes to an important quote that I'll close on for this question here. There is a, uh, a coach to CEOs, really smart guy. His name is Jerry Kalana. Kalana or Corona? I'll share with you so you can uh, update it later on if you want to. He has a great quote that he shares with people. And that quote is, where have I been complicit in the things in my life that I say I don't want? Where have I been complicit? It doesn't mean that you were the cause. It doesn't mean that you created the entire situation, but it might mean that you let it happen. So in the case of me being a people pleaser, I'm the one that's going to everybody and saying, yeah, okay, it works or other stuff or, hey, let's try more. Or if they check in with me and say, hey, do you have too much stuff on your plate? I'm the one that's like, no, 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 because that's the default answer that I've always used instead of pausing and saying, hey, look, let me get back to you. By the way, this is a great tip for anybody in negotiations and any area of life where they feel like they don't have good boundaries. You don't have to make a decision right away. You can simply tell people, you know what? Let me think about that and get back to you. That phrase changed my fucking life because now I could sit down and say, what are my motivations? Why do I want to be involved in this product project? Am I trying to people please somebody because I feel like I need their love and or I need their friendship and I'm worried that I won't have it if I don't go above and beyond on top of what I've already done? And by the way, they don't even need that from me. So buy yourself some time to see where you've been complicit in creating the conditions in your life that you say that you don't want. When you find that out, you find out something powerful. You find out that you're part of the problem and that's a good thing because if you're part of the problem, that means you can do something about the solution. If you're not part of the problem and it's 100% somebody else's fault, right? If it's everything is their fault, then guess what? They have the power and you can't do anything for it. So except for extreme, very rare instances of extreme, when I say very rare, I mean, these are common, but they're not common in our day-to-day -day life in terms of experiences, except for very extreme acts of violence, sexual violence, other stuff, things like that, where it's like, you know, somebody had no control of the situation. Most of the things that we face in our life, we had some part in, we place some part in, and if we can find that small little piece, we can dramatically change the circumstances of our life. Yeah, that's powerful. That's really powerful. And just such a simple thing, just to take a step back and say, if, if that's something you're struggling with, uh, and I know I struggle with it as well. And I think a lot of people would just say, yeah, give me a, give me a couple of days. Even if it's just like, let me get back to you in, in an hour. Like I'm just doing something right now, whatever. If you like, because I find, uh, and, and I, I'd like you to speak to this, but we just, automatically say things sometimes because we're in this world of 
things happen so quickly and you're like, I don't want to miss out on opportunity or whatever. And we're worried that people are going to say, yeah, oh, I, this, you know, oh, Harrison didn't say yes right away. So, well, I don't want to work with them again or whatever. And I think from your experience, do you find that, you know, like, has there ever been a situation where you've said, hey, give me, you know, a day or whatever to get back to you. And then they're just like, no, like offers off the table. I can't say anything major. I mean, I've been in legal stuff between different companies, you know, companies trying to come after you or maybe sue you or other stuff like that. But on a regular, on a regular basis, it's not something that's happening. It's not, it's not, it's not a something that's there. And the truth is if somebody's going to pull it like that, right. I mean, you see that on TV, you see it on Shark Tank and things like <laughs> that, but that makes for good TV in your day to day. Even if your boss is trying to force you into this position, let's say you work for somebody and your boss is putting you in that position. That sounds like a dick to me. You know, are you sure you want to be working with this type of person who doesn't give you the time to be able to think about it, even if it's 30 minutes, an hour or whatever? So if somebody did that, that's actually a good thing because they're letting you know they don't value you reflecting on whatever this thing is that's there, that they don't value you thinking about it and getting a chance to be thoughtful with it. And um, if I could even take, you know, what you were sharing earlier, one step deeper, when I really started to look into this, Harrison, you see where your motivations come from. I did a sort of a weekend workshop with a mentor of mine. His name is Serrano Kelly and a really smart guy. And in this weekend workshop, one of the things that he took us through was helping us understand how our early childhood experiences have major impacts on our life right now. So if you're a people pleaser, it's not like you were born being a people pleaser. Something happened that put you in that state. And in this workshop, I went through and I got clear for me. I moved around a lot when I was a kid. My dad got all these different opportunities. You know, we immigrated here from Kenya. We we're originally Indian, but I was born in Kenya. And my dad was, you know, trying to make the immigrant dream happen. Anytime he had an opportunity to get promoted or whatever, you know, he didn't care that we had, not that he didn't care, he wasn't focused on the fact that we had friends in a particular area and now we're uprooting our lives and we're moving again as he's climbing up the corporate ladder. He's thinking, I need to make more money and I need to do what's best for my family so I can pay for my kids' education, so I can make sure that they have the best opportunities, so I can provide for them, right? So he's looking after us long-term. And as a kid, you're like, man, I just moved here and we just made friends and now I all of a sudden have to move to a new area. So I moved around so much. And the last place that really my family moved before I spent most of my middle school, high school, and a little bit of college. When I moved to this area, I was very much an outsider. I didn't look like anybody else who was there. I was very confusing to people. And it just so happened the neighborhood that we moved to, even though it was a great neighborhood, I got placed in, in sort of my bus stop in the area that I was in with, um, you know, just kids who are mean. Right? Everybody deals with that. Everybody deals with bullies. Everybody deals with kids who are mean. But I had never dealt with it on that level. And it was so shocking for me as a young you know, child who was more quiet and not so sort of uh, extroverted and kind of kept to himself. And I went through that for a period of years of uh, you know, light-level bullying, uh, until I learned how to fight a little bit more, which was, you know, obviously that's like not politically correct to say these days, but you know, if you start punching back, even if you're like the scrawny little Indian kid, ultimately like bullies are going to not want to pick on you because you're too much hassle to deal with. Right. And so that led to, okay, I'm not being bullied as much too. Then in high school started to become a little bit more popular, then had some experiences of, wow, if I looked out for people, if I had resources, connections, other stuff, all of a sudden I was making friends a little easier. So I thought this is the recipe to being accepted is you do things for people. You take on more stuff, even for my teachers and other things like that. I would do that on a regular basis. And so these motivations of over promising being a people pleaser in this example for me, but the people that are listening, you have your own version of this. Maybe it's that you had such an overbearing parent and anytime you wanted to talk or whatever, they shut you down. Right? Or they didn't listen to your feelings that were there. Look, your parents were doing the best they could, but that still doesn't mean that they didn't make mistakes that are there. And it doesn't mean that we blame them. It's just to understand where do our patterns come from. So for me, I got clear that this resolve to want to people please everybody comes from a deep place of feeling that I didn't have people around me that had my back. And the way to get them to have my back was to do stuff. 
for them. That is an amazing insight for somebody to have. And that means that sometimes when especially I take a break and I say, okay, I have a lot of stuff on my plate. Do I really need to go overboard right now and take on something else? I can assess the situation and see for what it is. Okay, do I want to do this and do I have the room, which is great that I love helping people, or do I need to say no to this and decide from there? So ultimately, I think a huge part of our work and our growth mindset is understanding what our early motivations were that led us to be who we are today. Yeah, and and you've already dived right into something, and I wanted to talk about people-pleasing because we've discussed it before and you've shared about it on the podcast. But before we kind of talk about it a little more, can you just break down what people-pleasing is and how does it show up in people? Because I think there's a lot of people that we do it, and I'm guilty of this because I've, I've been doing it for well, however long I've been alive, I think. And I have never put a label on it until basically I started listening to your podcast, to be honest with you. So can you break down what people-pleasing is and how does it show up in people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different definitions, but I'll tell you my definition. People-pleasing is the pattern, right? It's a pattern. It's something that is kind of frequent in your life. It's the pattern of continuously breaking your own personal boundaries. That can mean a lot of different things. We'll get to that in a second. So you have a boundary in terms of how much stuff you can take on. You have a boundary in terms of how much work you can take on. You have a boundary in terms of the time availability. You're breaking your own boundary or something that's important to you to get acceptance, love, or perceived admiration from another, right? So you are willing to sacrifice things in your life on a regular basis that are important to you. It's not that they're important to somebody else. They're important to you. You know it. You've said it before with the potential hope of getting some admiration, love, praise from somebody else. And what makes it a pattern is even if you do get a little bit of perceived admiration, love, or praise from somebody else, it never actually fills up the cup fully. There's always a void that's there that has to be continuously filled up. So that's what I mean by people pleasing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you talk to a lot of people and, uh, you know, on the podcast and, and just in, in your life, are there some common ways that you've seen that it, it shows up and in ways like maybe you wouldn't think that you're necessarily doing it, but we are kind of subconsciously? The biggest area is... People-pleasing tends to show up in our life where we also get a lot of positive admiration for traits that are generally regarded as well-accepted in society, right? So, for example, first thing I met, I knew when I met you is Harrison is fast at responding. And I'm sure you've gotten this praise from other people. You know, you were kind enough to do a couple projects for my fiance and helping her out with her, pro- her podcast, and one of the first things she mentioned, she was like, I freaking love Harrison. I love people who respond right away. I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard this, right? That you are quick to respond. Now, that is a beautiful trait, right? Now, if you hear it a lot as you are growing in your career and becoming a young adult into an adult and you know trying to flourish in your career, now all of a sudden you think, that this thing that you're getting a ton of praise for, no different than a young woman or young boy, constantly people coming up to them and saying, oh my gosh, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty, you're so this, you're so that, you're so handsome. And they might be, but when they hear that from everybody around them, what starts to develop in their head? When they're not handsome, when they're not pretty, they're not gonna get love. So people-pleasing tends to show up often in your life in the areas, if somebody struggles with it, in the areas that people applaud you for that you might even think are some of your best traits that are there. And guess what? You can be somebody who's responsive, and you can also not get caught up in people-pleasing. And what that takes is boundaries. So, for example, I'm just making this up about you, but I know other people that are like that. You're fast on email, you're always connected, you're on your phone, you're on your computer, you're always looking out for other people and the assignments that's there. Sure, certain jobs require us to be responsive, but what happens when you need a break, right? What you find is that people-pleasing looks like you're sitting down, 
making lunch because you need to take a lunch break and because you're so connected and you're so praised. And again, this is all happening in the background. This is our default neural network. This is subconscious. We're not thinking about it in the foreground. So you're making lunch and you're trying to practice, you know, what you preach in terms of wellness, taking time, sitting down, eating, taking a break. So you're there making lunch, chopping, and all of a sudden you hear your ding go off on your phone that you've got a new email. And you're like, feel the, feel the surge in your nervous system saying, I got to check it. That's who I am. That's what I do. And, you're, and instead of trying to say, like, this is a break, right? I'm taking a break right now. I'm doing this. People know that I have lunch. They have lunch too. Like, they're not always responding all the time. So we do things that we are applauded for, that people tell us that we're great at, that we tell ourselves that we're great at, and we break a boundary. But guess what? When you're working, you can respond back quickly. When you're not working, you have to have boundaries that are there, and you can even proactively compensate for these things by just letting people know. I tell people, especially when you're an extreme people, people, people pleaser like myself, shoot out an email to your team if this resonates, right? The people that you work with, or your husband, or your wife, or your, your, your daughter, whatever else it is. And just say, like, in this example, hey guys, typically, just want to let you know, heads up, I take lunch from one to two, right? If it's ever urgent, you can always call me, but I'm not on my email. Now, some people may get that email from you and be like, that's really weird that he said that. I mean, everybody takes lunch, right? For them, this is for you. This is for you to give yourself permission not to be the person who's always responding immediately to everybody in moments where it doesn't serve you and it's actually detrimental for your health. So these are the hidden ways that people-pleasing shows up because most people around you would applaud you for that trait. Somebody deeper who's your friend who's looking after you would say, hey man, if you keep up this behavior, I know you're good at this, but you're actually gonna burn out. And that's the type of friends that we wanna surround ourselves with, and that's the type of friend that we wanna be to other people, is we wanna be that person to say, hey look, I know you typically, you know, I appreciate you and I know you've done well and you end up picking up the tab a lot when we go to the bar or we go to the restaurant, but dude, we got to keep this equal, right? Take any area of life in any aspect, you know, or you always listen to me, but you never open up about your challenges that are going on, right? I know everybody tells you you're such a great listener, but hey, with me, you can open up. So look for the things that people applaud you for and see how you hide as a people pleaser in those areas. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. Um, and so simple because it just makes me automatically think of so many aspects of my life that I wouldn't have said I'm doing those things. And because people are, you know, you don't really think you're like, oh, okay, I'm being applauded for something. I'm obviously doing a good job. It's like basic psychology, right? Reward makes you feel good. Let's do more of that. And for me, it shows up in, in like, uh, I've had friends say, oh, you're so consistent with stuff, posting on social media, creating content, you know, whatever. And now I'm like, well, everybody thinks I've got to be consistent. So on the days that I feel like, oh, there's a week where I can't do things. I'm like, well, I have to because everybody else, you know, I, it, people think I'm doing a good job of it. So I got to keep it up. But it's, it's finding those, what I'm hearing from you is finding those, uh, what, what's a priority in your life, you know, figuring that out first and then putting boundaries around protecting that in, you know, whatever is affecting that, putting boundaries around that. How do you start to put those boundaries there? Because boundaries is a challenging topic, Drew. <laughs> yeah, you know, the first step is really the first step with everything. It's awareness, right? Nothing can happen if we're not aware. And once we have awareness, then we can see the nuances in something. You know, it's amazing that people think that you're consistent. It's amazing that a lot of my friends look to me and say that, you know, you manage money well, or you know a lot about business. Like these are all positive things as well too. Where the people pleasing comes in or any other destructive pattern is when it regularly occurs and thwarts the things that you are saying are important to you. And everybody has different versions of that. You know, there's some people that are listening right now that are like, have never had an issue with people pleasing. You know, they have other issues that are there, right? Like, asking for help or, you know, whatever it might be, any kind of pattern that's out there that's destructive, that's not supporting you. So the first step, going back, the question was, how do we start to set up boundaries? 
there has to be a level of awareness of that there's even a pattern that's taking place. Questions are a powerful. Hearing other people's stories, that's why you're sharing your story, I'm sharing my story here. That's one way is we can relate to it and say, wow, you know what? That's not my same issue, but I can totally relate to that. I have this other thing. So that gives you an example. Uh, another way is powerful questions, like that question I shared earlier. Where in my life have I been complicit with the things that I say that I don't want? So where have you played a part in these areas? That's another way of finding out patterns. So first step is awareness. When we have awareness and then we practice some element of self-compassion, because one way that we give ourselves an out from dealing with complicated areas in our life is we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up because we don't want to face the truth and try to make things better. So we're hard on ourselves. Our ego knows that if we beat ourselves up, then that means that we don't have to get rejected by other people. So let's always be the harshest on ourselves so that we don't ever have to be rejected by somebody else. So catch that pattern because sometimes we have awareness and then the next place that people go is, I'm such a fuck up, I did it again. How could I do this? I should know better. That is not you talking. That is the ego or the resistance as Stephen Pressfield talks to it. That's the part of you that's not you that is trying to get you to throw your hands up and quit. We call it the lizard brain, the amygdala. It's the evolutionary part of our brain that is the reptilian brain. That's why we reference it as the lizard brain to bring in a little bit of brain health. And it's the part of our brain that was primarily focused on fight, flight, or freeze, right? And one version of getting ourselves to freeze and shut down and play dead in the animal world, when some when an animal feels like it's been caught, you see that uh, you see the gazelle being chased by the cheetah, and one adaptive measure they have is fight, flight, fight. But obviously the gazelle doesn't have the ability to fight in this instance, and sometimes they get caught. So what do you see sometimes on Discovery Channel and stuff is that the gazelle gets caught, and then it completely shuts down and acts like it's playing dead. And every so often the cheetah will let go thinking that it had just killed the gazelle. And then the gazelle gets up and dashes off. Our human version of that in our modern day society is we beat ourselves up because when we beat ourselves up, we freeze. We get into analysis paralysis. We stop doing anything. It's not worth it. We're not fighting to try to make it better, and we're not fleeing to try to make it better. So we're just going to beat ourselves up, and we're going to beat ourselves into submission. Anybody that's got caught up in the pattern of negative self-talk, this is that freeze element. It's trying to get you to shut down so that you don't try again because trying can feel scary. So when you are aware and then you don't beat yourself up and you don't get into that pattern of freezing, then we can take the next step. And that next step is actually identifying where we might have to communicate with others around us and recommit or quit based on an expectation that might be set. And that's not easy. And I doubt we have enough time to get into that in this podcast. That could be a whole other two podcasts alone. And there's plenty of books on that of uh, boundaries and communication, but none of that is possible. And it'll be a lot harder if we're not aware and if we stop beating ourselves up in the process. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you talked um, just quickly, you mentioned brain health and it takes me to, I wanted to just, before we wrap this up, you've interviewed a lot of people, top people in the, in the health and wellness field. And I'm curious if you could share like people, you know, might be listening to this and go, yeah, okay. Uh, we're talking about stress, people pleasing, which is going to lead to stress. You know, why should I focus on that? I've got other areas in my life to focus on first. And uh, we know that, you know, extended periods of stress and just stress in general can, you know, cause certain things. Why should we avoid being stressed and kind of start there um, in, in relation to uh, chronic disease and things like that? Why should we start with stress? Just a quick summary based on all the people you've you've talked to. <laughs> happened, Harrison, in the research and the, the communication in the last really seven years is that I don't know if we want to avoid stress. We want to find the right amount of stress that helps us grow. Stress 
helps us grow. I took my fiance on a trip to South America. She was really into wine. She still is. Uh, she's gotten more into health. She's a little less inter- interested in wine. Doesn't have it as much frequently. But I took her to the region of um, Mendoza in Argentina because it was a really beautiful opportunity for us to, you know, go and tour this organic vineyard that was there. And one of the first lessons that we got in winemaking from the master, you know, I don't know, they have probably a, a term or a name, but the master winemaker at this uh, vineyard was basically everything about making incredible wine is about finding the right amount of stress for the grapes. You give the grapes too much water and nutrients, they become too plump and too big, and now they've lost that concentration of sugar. You don't give them enough water and nutrients, and they become too shriveled and they can't survive, and then you can't use them at all. Same thing goes in our own life. We need to find the right amount of stress for us that is manageable and continues to help us grow. So in our personal lives, we don't want to be surrounded by people who all have the same opinion as us. It's nice to have friends who think of things differently, might even have different political views that are out there as long as they're being respectful and want to get into interesting conversations and maybe even a couple of debates on things. That's a version of stress, is being presented with an idea that challenges you a little bit. What's another version of stress? Another version of stress is working out. Working out is stressful to the body. It causes inflammation when you work out. And we've all been told that inflammation is such a bad thing and it's related to stress. Inflammation is a tool. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. So working out and lifting heavy things causes stress to the body. And that's a beautiful thing because it pushes our body to get stronger, just like those grapes that are turning into beautiful wine that's there. Another version of stress is actually sacrificing in our life, taking things that we're maybe a little addicted to, like social media, and sacrificing. You know, Reverend Michael Beckwith, who's a friend and a gentleman who came on my podcast, he really helped me understand the true meaning of the word sacrifice. He said sacrifice is to actually make something sacred. So when we talk about being addicted to our phone or being addicted to social media or even the news, a lot of people are addicted to the news, what would it look like to sacrifice in that area and what are we sacrificing? Well, one aspect would be we are sacrificing this immediate gratification of constantly being on Instagram, maybe a couple times a week, maybe we just do a phone-free day. It's a lot easier to do on Saturday or Sunday. We do a social media free day or we take a 10-day social media fast, for example, because we're making something sacred. We're making our attention sacred and we're making our time sacred, especially if we're wasting time on things. So stress in a targeted amount that we incorporate into our life can actually be a beautiful thing. It makes us more resilient. It makes us more able to handle things. If you talk about how somebody got good at something, you'll often hear about how they were bad at something and how they failed many times. So we don't want to avoid stress. We want to find the right dose. Now, where we want to pay attention to stress is chronic stressors. So let me give you three areas that I think that will relate to people as we wind down here. One of the biggest areas of chronic stress in our life is when we are not true to what our gut intuition says. Now, that could be that we're in the wrong relationship, and we've known it, but we're too scared to maybe be single again, or we're too scared to disappoint somebody or to let them down and be honest about the fact that maybe our feelings have changed uh, you know, for them or that we're on different life pages that are there. So that's a gut intuition. We all know, we all can feel that in our gut where we're not being honest to ourselves. So ignoring your gut is very stressful because your mind will constantly remind you about this thing and then you're ignoring it and that causes a lot of stress in your life. Hanging around with people who are so hurt, another area, big area, having friends in your life or friends, quote unquote, they might be frenemies, who are so hurt that they end up taking out their stress on you and other people unintentionally, they don't know how to manage it, but they're so hurt that they don't know how to work on it or get your help in an appropriate way so they end up becoming this phrase that we hear a lot, they become toxic, right? 
sometimes for people that might even be a parent or a loved one in their life. Now, I'm a big person that even though everybody on the internet is telling you to fire all the toxic people in your life and just get rid of them, when they're your family, when they're your parents, when they're other stuff, a lot of times that is not an option. I mean, if you're being abused or physically abused or something else or really deep emotional abuse, maybe you have to go to that extent, but we want to minimize their impact in our life. So that might mean we're putting more firmer boundaries. Like, hey, listen, you want to hang out? Great. I'm game, I'm game for a hike but I'm not going to meet you at the bar anymore. I'm not going to just sit down and not do something active with you where, where you go on monologues about how everything sucks and there's nothing that one can do and you're not open to any suggestions or to think differently. So hanging out with people who constantly bring you down and giving them a high priority in your list of people that are influential in your life, that's another area of stress, right? And even I'm somebody who talks about food all the time. And I would say that ignoring your gut intuition and hanging out with the wrong people that bring stress into your life is like even bigger than food. And the next category I would say is food. Anybody who's a creator, anybody who's someone who's trying to build something amazing, you cannot deny the large body of evidence that's out there that shows that what we eat and being mindful of how much sugar we have being mindful of how much processed foods we have plays a significant role in our ability to focus, think positively, be generous, be kind, show up, have the energy to show up, have the energy to be kind to other people, and most importantly, give love and attention to everything that matters in our life. So those are a few categories that I would say are low-hanging fruits for people to even start small. You can start small in each one of those areas to immediately start to put up boundaries, combat stress, and, and make progress on, on all the things that you end up care about, caring about, including this topic that you asked about, which is uh, you know brain health. That's wonderful. Thank you uh, so much for sharing all of this wonderful stuff. I'm being mindful of the time here. I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, I want to leave you with one one quick thing for you to say. And this is I'm stealing this from your buddy uh, Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness. And he closed off one of his interviews and said, uh, if you have, this was your time on earth is done, right? You're moving on. And you had one thing you could leave um, as advice to the world. What would it be? It's funny because I saw Lewis earlier. I ran into him at lunch at uh, Bulletproof Coffee here in Santa Monica. It's a tough question. It's not an easy question. I'm going to have to go back to that quote that I shared earlier. It's not even my quote, but it's so important and it's so fundamental for us to understand and it's the root of so much trauma that people deal with in their lives and have applied to them. And it'd be this quote of what you resist will persist. What you accept, you go beyond. And just for anybody who's listening, that doesn't mean that you accept stuff and immediately everything starts changing in your life. It actually really means that if you have really shitty circumstances in your life, like maybe you uh, just got fired from a job and it's the middle of a recession and you're trying to figure out how you're going to put a roof over your head and continue doing what you want to do. One way to look at it is I'm such a fuck up. Here's another job. I messed up. I didn't, I didn't do the right thing or relationship ends. Like nobody wants to be with me again, that negative self-talk. You can come up with all the reasons why you're terrible, you're bad or whatever. But if you looked at it honestly and you accepted the situation, say, Let's look at the facts. I was working somewhere for a combination of reasons. It wasn't a good fit. And I was let go. Or you know what? I was in a relationship. I loved the person. Or I really liked them. They didn't feel the same way about me. So they ended it. Hey, that's the facts. There's the facts of the situation, which when we accept them and we don't try to put this deep layer of meaning, which is completely made up, by the way, then we can actually get to work. Okay, what lessons did I learn? Even though I really liked them and wanted to be with them, how did maybe I pick the, a person that wasn't ready at the stage where I was at in life? Even though I was really excited about that job and really wanted to make progress in it, what lessons can I take away and maybe how it wasn't the right thing? Or, you know, what part of this was out of my control? 
How did I still show up the best? So acceptance means 360 acceptance. When we face reality, when we accept what's going on, we tune into the present moment and the power of everything that's available for us in life is only through the present moment. It's only in this moment here that we can take action, that we can make decisions, that we can do stuff that can radically impact our future. And by the way, the future doesn't exist, neither does the past. It's always going to be the present moment. So when we stop resisting, which means we stop worrying about the past and we stop over-obsessing about the future and we accept what's happening right now and the realities of the circumstances, we can actually get to work to better our lives and better the lives of other people. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for being on here, Drew. Can you uh, let everybody know real quick where they can find you online and where the podcast is and everything? Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate uh, that my name is Drew, but it's spelled super differently. And actually in the Indian tradition, they'd say Drew. So actually I'm very lucky that if you just type in my first name into Google, you'll get a whole bunch of links, including my podcast, Instagram, other stuff. So just type in DHRU in Google and you'll probably find your way to something or another that I've been involved in. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put links to everything in the description. Thanks again, Drew, so much for being here. I appreciate it. Harrison, before we close off, I just want to acknowledge you, man. I just want to say that, uh, you know, from the first time that we connected and met, you just have a deep sense of kindness and curiosity about you. And you really are somebody who's always looking for how can you add value to other people and their lives and also how can you find people that are on the same journey as you are that want to have adventures and grow and talk about meaningful things and actually chat about what it means to be a better person and to constantly sort of think about that and uh i see that in you man i i know when we're young and we want to do it all sometimes we don't often see those things inside of us and i see those things inside of you and I just want to let you know that uh, you're on the right journey, brother, and you have the right heart for it. And um, I'm excited to watch you blossom and grow in just everything that you do, whatever shape or form, uh, all that takes, because um, you're an incredible human being. Thank you. Likewise, you are just an incredible person, and I really appreciate those words. So. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. It means the world to me. Um, I'm so glad that I got to share this conversation with Drew, with you, with the world. And and he has just so many great things to say. I hope you can take one or two even things from this episode and implement them into your own life. Because like we said, you can't just implement everything that you hear um, and do it all and expect to do it all. So just be gentle with yourself. Um, I think it's a big takeaway from today's episode. And also, you know, just know that uh, everybody's working on stuff. Nobody's perfect, but there are some things to work on. And if you're here, you're obviously wanting to focus on your personal growth. So thank you for being here. Good job. And just like to congratulate you for being on this journey and uh, and having me be a part of it and to be able to share these conversations with you. So again, thanks to Drew. If you liked what he had to say, make sure to go check out his stuff. His podcast is, again, the Drew it podcast and he's on all social media platforms and and everywhere you listen to podcasts you can find that stuff you just look up his name and go to his website which is drewproit.com or you could just look up dhru in google and you probably find it along with a photo of him walking oprah winfrey down the aisle i believe at the royal wedding or something like that that's a whole other story for a different day anyway great guy great conversation thank you guys so much for tuning in i really appreciate you whatever you're doing the rest of the day bring some kindness and love to the people in the world and, and whatever activity you're doing and to yourself. And most of all, just remember to keep loving life and we'll see you next time. For more information about this episode or the show itself, head on over to harrisonkingofficial.com. There you'll be able to find the show notes, transcriptions, and videos for every episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk About Life Pod. Now get out there and have a deep, meaningful conversation in your own life. We'll chat with you next time.